This episode is brought to you in part by B&H Publishing Group. Sam Alberry's new kids' book, God's Go-Togethers, provides a helpful foundation for explaining why God made men and women as a special pair to complement each other in marriage and beyond. Learn more at godsgotogethers.com. This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us today. We have a special topic we want to talk about today. We wanted to deal with the topic of preaching in the midst of the global pandemic we're in right now, the coronavirus. And we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Josh Moody from College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. Josh, it is so good to have you with us today. Matt, it's a real privilege to be with you. I've been looking forward to it, and I'm expecting a great conversation as we talk about this really important matter of how to get God's word into the hearts of people in the midst of really a global crisis. Yeah, and we had uh, a few other topics on the table that we were supposed to discuss, Josh, but they got <laughs> yeah. scrapped. It is um, like a, all our lives have changed. So our our yeah. lives are in absolute upheaval, right? <laughs> Especially as preachers. I'm so glad that you're here. Josh is the senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton. He's also got a PhD from Cambridge. He's a prolific author and has studied a lot in uh, Jonathan Edwards and, and done some research in uh, challenges of secularization. He grew up in London. He served as a missionary. Yeah, he's just written a two-volume set on the Gospel of John. He also has a website called God-Centered Life. So Josh has thought about preaching a lot. And so thanks for being uh, one of our mentors today and speaking as a pastor to us pastors. Thank you, Matt. It's a great joy and privilege. So let's talk about what have you done? What did you do this Sunday? And what were you trying to communicate this Sunday? And then what yeah, so there's there are two parts to that. One is the uh, the the medium, the method uh, of uh, of communication this Sunday, and the other is the message. So we as a church have uh, live streaming capabilities. We've set them up for a while, and so what we decided to do on on Thursday night when we met as a team and uh, responding to what we were seeing in the news and uh, trying to respond with love and grace and biblical principles and and uh, love for neighbor and the social distancing phrase that we've heard recently. We decided not to have a physical meeting of church on Sunday, but because we had live stream to a, a live service uh, broadcast uh, through the internet to uh, to everyone who could uh, who could get in. And so that's the medium we chose. Um, the, the other point, though, was, you know, the more important part of that is the message. And um, I found this a couple of times when there's been um, a big uh, global crisis. Mm-hmm. You've got to address it as a, as a preacher. On the other hand, it's always been fascinating to me to look at God's providence and his provision. Two big times that as a preacher, I face these things, both times when I've looked at the passage that I'd already selected to preach that Sunday, not knowing what was going to happen. It's just amazing how relevant it was. Same thing happened to me right at 9-11. I looked at the passage for Sunday and I thought, that's a passage chosen by God. I could not have picked a better passage. And in a similar sort of way this Sunday. So we're actually in the book of Acts and uh, we were looking at um, uh, a passage there. And so I kept the same passage. Now I preach it differently, changed the title, had a different set of applications, a different um, uh, resonance and tone and thrust to it, same message, but preached quite differently. 
I, I called the uh, sermon how faith can free us from fear. And I think, it, you know, the Lord was very gracious and I think it landed. Yeah, that's so good, Josh. We have a sermon on uh, preachingtoday.com from John Stott called the up to the minute relevance of the resurrection, you know, mm. and I, mm. I think of that when I when I preach, because it, it's not just the resurrection, it's all the doctrines of the Christian faith. Yep. Um, every text is, well, some are probably more relevant than others, but the Bible, we don't have to make it relevant. It is. So it mm. sounds like you just kind of pressed into that. Yeah, different, obviously, you know, totally different introduction, different applications, yeah. uh, you know, reworked a lot of it, but the same, same passage, same passage. So what was the, the one big uh, takeaway that you wanted your people to uh, get from the sermon? I was going to say walk away with, but they were yeah. probably in their homes. So take yeah. from the sermon. I think it was the thing that I was saying to our team all week, really. And um, the thing I was saying to our team all week was never waste a good crisis mm. and so the passage um, was um, the healer uh, jesus uh, and how can we be a vehicle uh, for god's healing ministry at this time uh, the hurting in that case by, by uh, the uh, the crippled man at the the temple gate called beautiful called beautiful um but there are a lot of people hurting confused uh, need to do if you're in that situation so there's a call to faith in the gospel and then, but then, then the opportunity, the opportunity before us right now, uh, we need to seize. And there are those at that, at that time who didn't uh, seize it, the Sadducees who kind of opposed it, but then there were the, the 5,000 who did receive it. And right now there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for us to reset our lives. You know, we've got, our schedule's been changed. Some of us have more time. It's also an opportunity to surface where our, the idols of our heart may be. Mm -hmm. And what are we really relying upon? And what is behind this fear that, that the people have there's some understandable nature to it of course uncertainty none of us find that easy um but to to reset our lives around uh, around the gospel and then the opportunity for witness and a message to the wider community the church being the church you know the church hasn't stopped the church is the church and it's ongoing and the gospel is not chained the, the gospel is moving forward and so there's a so the takeaway is you know, never waste a good opportunity. And here is an opportunity the Lord's given us, uh, which in this instance is a great crisis. But that's when leaders need to lead. It's when preachers need to preach. It's when God's people need to be God's people. Amen. That's a great way to put it. You know, so Josh, I'm really interested in your, your research in your PhD in the challenges of secularization. I'd love to get your perspective uh, for us as preachers, like how, what do you think this pandemic and the way we're responding to it, what's it telling you about our contemporary culture, about secularism uh, that's had such a grip and a hold on us? Well, how do you analyze that? Yeah, so there's the sort of prophetic and there's the pastoral uh, parts of this. And part, I think pastorally, we just need to acknowledge the human condition and there, there, there are feelings that we're gonna feel there are uncertainties that we're going to re resonate with. No one this side of heaven is so holy that they are not um, subject to temptation. And uh, there are many temptations around uh, this time of testing. And that's just the reality of life. And uh, we don't want to make people feel worse about feeling worse. You know? mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to put, put uh, legalistic judgment on them. You must be, you mustn't resonate with anything. Of course, there are difficulties today, and we all sense that. But at the same time, I do think it's an, a very important question. And it, here's a big part of, I think, the opportunity the church has. 
wishes to say, and I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday, with, to say with boldness and clarity that what this is revealing is the utterly, utterly moribund and morally bankrupt nature of uh, contemporary secularism. What answers does contemporary secularism have to a little virus that can kill you? And the answer is none. And mm -hmm. the reason why people in panic and fear is to, to death. And we, uh, you know, you talked about uh, the resurrection uh, and uh, the resurrection always been relevant earlier when we were chatting. Um, and here we are with a message of life after death. And of course, none of us wants to die. It can be, an, it's usually an unpleasant experience. We don't want suffering. But as Christians, we have hope beyond the grave. And therefore we live in the shadow of death with uh, our great shepherd who uh, anoints us uh, with joy and love even the midst of that uh, valley of the shadow of death and and but secularism has none of that and what people are resonating with is the morally bankrupt nature of secularism and i think the lord is bringing this to the forefront um, you know c.s lewis famously said that god whispers in our pleasures but he shouts in our pain and suffering is god's megaphone to to a deaf world and i think our world has increasingly become deaf to god and god is shouting through this virus wake up uh, your ideology is morally bankrupt turn to me and find hope and healing again wow how does that as you think about your preaching moving forward how are you going to maybe you don't know yet because it's also new but how do you think you'll address that very theme of the the idols and the bankruptcy of secularism how are you going to try to weave that, that into your preaching do you have any idea yet well, I've always done that sort of thing. I mean, before preaching in Wheaton, I preached um, next to Yale, New Haven, and then I was in Cambridge. And so I've always been engaged with secularism. So I've always weaved those things into my preaching, or tried to at least. And I think it's a it's a day by day, week by week thing. I, I'm I was trained uh, as a preacher that you should prepare one hour for every minute preaching. So that's lots of preparation. But at the same time, right up to the moment. I'm constantly working through the message in my mind and my heart. And was it Charles Simeon who said, as he got up into the pulpit to preach, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so I, I rely on his empowering in the moment as well as in the preparation. And I, and, and so I think it's got to be woven together constantly. And I'm thinking about that for my message on Sunday, which is the next part in Acts. And they're under great trial. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. They're under trial. And many of our, our faith, for many of us, our faith is under trial. What are we going to do? And they present a great model of listening to God, not to uh, people. And uh, we need to listen to God. And, uh, and perhaps, um, there, uh, not perhaps, certainly, there's an opportunity to call people to um, center their lives upon God and his word. So I guess in answer to your question, I think it's keeping together of that truth of God in response uh, to the secularism of our age. John Stockwell did a plea for double listening, to listen to the word and to the world. I like that. Obviously, we don't listen to each with equal authority. He didn't mean that. But we do need to um, understand the questions of, of our age. And right now, the answers that our age has given to their questions are, I think, being revealed as morally bankrupt. And I'm just going to point that out. And I think people will resonate with it. So do you think that's underlying the sense of panic there is, there was a new study. My son's an emergency room doctor, and he sent me a new study that shows that basically the, the death, the fatality rates actually 
gone down from this as we've discovered more cases, but the, the panic level seems to have not changed at all. People are still freaking out. Although it's a serious disease, I'm not I'm not downplaying it, and I, right. I understand the whole idea of flattening the curve. I totally get that. I'm a total proponent of that. But the sense of panic is is uh, you know how are you preaching into that, and is that a result of this bankrupt secular philosophy ideology? I think it is, and I think we've just got to. It reminds me a little bit. Well, obviously, I'm British, and all our listeners probably would have heard of Princess Diana, and when she tragically died. In England, there was a huge outpouring of grief beyond obviously mm. a great tragedy, but the outpouring of grief was so extreme. Many people at the time thought it was a sign of a tipping point towards a, a kind of neo-paganism. She'd almost become a goddess in people's minds, and that sounds so strange. But the outpouring of grief, the 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 idolatry that related to this celebrity, seemed to be a tipping point. And I think. In retrospect, it kind of it, it kind of was the, the culture went more has gone more and more that way. Similarly, here I think there's an opportunity, and it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Whether people look at that and realize that the panic is a sign of a fear of death, ultimately, and therefore we need an answer to death. Yeah, I hope they will. Uh, but our job as preachers is not to guarantee that people will listen. Our job as preachers. Is to guarantee that we have delivered our charge of speaking the truth. And that's what I'm going to try and do. Yeah, that's great. Josh, have you changed anything in terms of, just really practically, have you changed anything in terms of how you structure your sermon or your your tone or your the length of your sermon? Or have you pretty much, is it just your, there's really been no changes in how you present your sermon? I have made some changes to my preaching style in the last year or so, not related to this. The last year or so, I've always wanted, when I first started preaching, I preached with very few notes at all, almost none. And then I went to a full manuscript because I wanted to lean into precision. I think it's, yeah. it's harder to get precision without a manuscript. But I had in the back of my mind that one day there might come a moment when I could have the freedom of not a manuscript plus the precision of a manuscript, and I don't, I don't by any ways claim to have achieved that, but I have gone to preaching basically without a manuscript now. This isn't directly related to this crisis. It's, I think people today have a shorter attention span than they did 10 years ago, and the, the preaching of God's word, if it needs to be more uh, obviously live in the moment, people need to feel that, and so I, I've gone to that approach. In terms of what's happening right now, I actually feel that, and we did this, and it's of course a developing, we've only been in one Sunday when we've been totally live streaming. Who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks in the world. I actually felt certainly on our first Sunday, it was important to change as little as possible. So mm. the people who are listening, in terms of the style, the people who are listening had a sense of comfort. You know, my world mm. has changed, but God's word has not. And so, you know, basically I did, I did, in terms of style, very similar to what I normally do. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, that sense of familiarity and it's like yeah the world's going crazy but we still believe in god's word and i'm not i don't have to make radical changes that's really good well when you achieve uh no manuscript and a precision let us know okay (laughs) yeah well our task as preachers is just to keep on getting better isn't it yes right yeah uh what simply show them your progress and i think as we get older the temptation is to feel like we've 
we've arrived, but we've got to keep on making progress and and listen to people younger than us. As you get older, you need to listen to people younger than you, otherwise you'll stop learning. So I'm huh. that, that change I made was actually prompted by one of the younger guys on our staff. I went away to a, um, a preaching at a university, like they had a spiritual renewal week. And I love preaching to college students. And I preached without a manuscript there to, you know, this thousand or so college students. And it was just great fun. And we were driving back in the car afterwards. And he said to me, Josh, why don't you preach like that at college church? And I didn't say anything uh, while, while uh, in answer to that. But in my mind, as we drove back, and it was a long drive back, I was thinking, you know, that's a pretty good question. Why don't you? And uh, so that was Dick Lucas, who's one of my preaching uh, mentors. Yeah. He says that uh, to be a good teacher, the most important thing is that you're a good learner. And so I'm, I'm determined to keep learning. Wow, that's great. Well, I'm preaching this Sunday, and now I got to scrap my manuscript. Well, <laughs> no. Jonathan wrote it. I'm not going to scrap it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I, I wrote it word for word because so, I do want to be really precise this Sunday. But um, you do it. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, um, I know one of your preaching mentors is uh, Jonathan Edwards, and yeah. you've written some books on him. And so, and I did a little reading of Jonathan Edwards while I was on sabbatical this summer, but spent most of my time reading on Augustine as a preacher and learned a lot. So, uh, just funny, real good story about him. Uh, you know, he had these stenographers uh, dictating his sermons, and one time the guy stood up and Augustine says, "Well, the the reader today read the wrong psalm." but that's not the psalm I was prepared to preach on. But since he read that, I'll just go ahead and preach on it. So, <laughs> so there that's, you go. that's when you know you've arrived. Yeah, um, anyway, but, yeah, right. Jonathan Edwards, tell us about uh, just what would you say, not necessarily in just in these times, but what would you say is one of the biggest lessons you've learned from Jonathan Edwards uh, that applies to us as preachers? I would perhaps... Uh... Bullet point this down to two or three, maybe three or four. First of all, his one of his early biographers said one of the reasons why people listen to him is because he had a very good understanding of his own soul. And therefore, when you're reading Edwards, it feels like he's reading, uh, he's understanding you. And the reason why is because he really understands the human condition and he's, he, he's living with integrity, honesty, about his own uh, relationship with God, his own soul. And that, that bleeds through uh, the preaching that he's engaged with soul life mm. and he gets it. I think that's um, not always grasped about Edwards's preaching, but it's a very important part. Uh, I think another point, and uh, maybe this should be first of all, but it's uh, so obvious and yet so important, is Edwards, uh, he was said to be above all a Bible person and that he read and st studied the Bible uh, more than any other of his contemporary preachers. And his preaching is just um, filled with uh, scripture all the way through. And he's, he's, he's not making the Bible relevant. It is relevant. It's just filled mm -hmm. with the Bible. I think uh, another, the, not only the, the understanding of his own soul, not only the grasp of scripture, um, but his ability to um, speak uh, that scripture into the wider context of his age. And this is a lot of the research I did on Edwards and indeed on secularization. He understood the birth of secularization in the Enlightenment. He, he, he studied it. He grasped it. He, he, mm. he got it. And while he didn't use the big words or the big names of the philosophers in his preaching, he didn't talk about Locke, he 
knew the language of the day because he understood the philosophy of the day and was able there to therefore to connect to the people in front of him in his uh, town in Northampton. And so I, I think those would be uh, two or three of the things. I, I do think there's another element which should humble us all, which is simply the anointing of and the power mm. of God. Um, and I suppose most famously in relation to that is his um, most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And whenever you talk about it, Edwards, you always have to say, by the way, he preached about love a lot, and it wasn't yeah. always about hell. And what stuck out about Edwards was not that he preached about hell, because everyone his, age, his day and age did, every biblical preacher did. But anyway, that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he preached it another time uh, to very little impact. Hmm. Uh, but then when he preached at that time, huge impact. And there was an anointing on Edwards's preaching. And I, I think that's uh, a humbling, but in a sense, most important truth uh, that hmm. we preachers need above all to be filled with the spirit when we handle God's word truly. And we need to seek his power uh, through prayer and a life uh, concentrated uh, to God. Josh, this has been so good talking to you. Um, I have really enjoyed this. Josh and I w work at two churches about a mile down the road from each other. <laughs> but we haven't met each other yet. So when this coronavirus gets by us, God willing, uh, let's let's have lunch or coffee or something. Yeah, that'd be great, Matt. That'd be great. I'd love to talk more about preaching. This is uh, fascinating. I'm, I'm so thankful for sharing your wisdom with uh, us fellow pastors. It's great to have mentors on the journey like you. So well, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Matt. You're very kind. And uh, uh, this is a wonderful program. And it's great. Thank you for having me on it. And um, just great to be able to talk about God's will with you as, uh, as brothers. And uh, I pray it'll be helpful to whoever is listening. Well, thank you. And preachers, may you be blessed and seek the anointing of God as you speak to your people this Sunday in troubled times. Hope you can join us for our next episode.